Hello, this is Jacqueline Kitzman. This is the Awaken Tarot podcast. You all know that because you clicked on the little link. You clicked, you tapped. I understand how technology works past the 2000s, okay? Um, you tapped on the little thingy, so you know what you're listening to. Congratulations. Two, so we have the podcast two weeks in a row because we missed so much. I think we missed like a month. So we put out an episode last week and then we're putting out an episode this week as well because this is when a regularly scheduled episode would come out. Next week, we'll take a break and then one will come out the week after that. Um, the holidays are coming up. So I wouldn't say like prepare for every Monday, but definitely like know that our our intent, our intent, our intent, I can speak. Um, and our goal is to be completely on time with the scheduling of the podcast. So uh, let's jump into some current events. There was a mass shooting this last week in Las Vegas at the University of Nevada. Um, there was a target list, ammo and conspiracy theories. He killed three UNLV faculty members. The 67-year-old career college professor who fatally shot three faculty members this week at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, kept a target list of faculty at the school and elsewhere, said authorities searching for a motive. Investigators found ammunition at the shooter's apartment, along with an eviction notice, and have identified nearly two dozen letters he mailed in the hours leading up to the shooting to university personnel across the country. He also is fascinated by conspiracy theories and Las Vegas, according to his online writings in former students. The shooter was shot and killed by police Wednesday after his attack near the site of the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history when a sniper in 2017 killed more than 50 people and injured hundreds at an outdoor concert in the Las Vegas Strip. This marks the 80th school shooting in the U.S. this year, including 29 at university or college campuses on a, a CNN analysis shows. This is from obviously the CNN website. The shooter was armed with a nine millimeter, nine millimeter pistol and nine loaded magazines. Also, the, they also injured a visiting male professor in a building that is part of the business school. Mass shootings are some of my least favorite things to talk about in regards to current events, because at this point, they are preventable and we're, we're doing nothing. Our government is doing nothing to stop it. As a mom who is getting ready and making decisions on whether or not their child will attend preschool or anything like that, like it's getting I'm like, I'm just very, very anxious about this entire thing. Mass shootings should not be such a normal part of society for us that that a mass shooting at a college university should be just something we're like, oh, well, it's just like a day that ends in Y in the U.S. And that is kind of the mentality about it at this point. And it makes me sick to my stomach. This tragedy and devastation happening in Palestine right now. Devastating is not the right word. I... I wish there was a horrific, fucking awful, terrible, tragic. I There aren't enough. You could take every single synonym for the word absolute travesty in the U.S. or any language on earth, and it would not suffice as to what is happening to people in Palestine. I have seen pictures and videos of babies, days old babies being pulled from rubble. I have seen recently pictures of just innocent civilian men lined up who have been tortured and hurt and they're not even part, they're not part of Hamas. Like it, it's, this is too much. We need an immediate ceasefire. I've been seeing some people calling for people to like a protest happening. I believe Motaz, who was a journalist from Palestine, who has put his life on the line. He's 24. And in the month that this has been happening, the over a month that this has been happening, gone from having like 24 years old, he has mostly gray hair now. Like, 
he is, but he put in his story along with Bisan, who is another um, journalist, young 20s journalist, who is now houseless and, and trying to survive the winter and advocating for Palestinians in and, and, and southern Gaza right now. They are calling for us to strike this coming week, I believe, on Monday. So the day that this podcast comes out, they're calling for us to call out of work if we can. They are calling for us to not spend money. So I, I'll be doing that. I There is so very little I can tangibly do in the that would that even makes a dent. And yet I'm just going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try so fucking hard boycott starbucks boycott any 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 business that right now is funding the idf if you hear that meowing that's my cat shushy shush 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 hush okay i don't know what i said in cat but that did get my cat to be quiet for a few seconds so um any business that is actively funding the idf our tax dollars are actively funding this genocide against palestinian people this is not a war on hamas this is just an absolute ethnic cleansing genocide happening. And it's not the only genocide happening in the world right now. This is also happening in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's happening in Somalia while we have forced labor of of people who have been millions of people who have been displaced from their homes who are mining uh, cobalt, coltan, all of these all of these resources that make our Western technology, our computers, our electric vehicles, our phones. And we're we are actively using our tax dollars are being used to fund this as well and we can't pay attention to one genocide and not see another there is so much happening in the world that it's so much easier for people in the u.s to just simply ignore but we just can't i encourage everyone to come forth with the heart of humanitarians in this another thing that i've seen on the rise is anti-semitism in the u.s specifically because it is hanukkah currently and and so you have people who are of Jewish faith who are celebrating Hanukkah, who are being like their their synagogues are being spray painted. They're being yelled at like the, the conflation between Judaism and Zionism. They are two different things. Um, Hanukkah has been celebrated for thousands of years, hundreds of years before this, the state of Israel was created. So if you're out here and you're yelling at people for celebrating Hanukkah, like that is anti-Semitic. Calling out um, that we need a ceasefire because of the horrific actions of the IDF currently in Israel against the Gazan people and the Palestinian people, um, that is not anti-Semitism. What is anti-Semitic is absolutely being hateful to people who are celebrating a holiday that has been celebrated for hundreds, if not thousands of years prior to the creation of Israel um, over in Palestine. So just keep that all in mind. You know, um, we're, we're getting and growing closer to the primaries. Um, we need to be putting pressure <laughs> on our politicians to be making decisions in regards to better gun control, in regards to not using our tax dollars to fund actual genocides, to stopping the absolute horrendous legislation that is an onslaught of hate against the transgender community and the LGBTQIA plus community. We're seeing tons and tons of news articles coming out about there's a woman in Texas who has a is carrying a fetus who is trisomy 18 and who is going like this this fetus is not viable and will not live past being born and she is begging for an emergency abortion and cannot get it she was told by the court she could and then told by the state of Texas that if the doctors or hospitals helped her have have an abortion 
that they would be sued to the largest legal extent that Texas could muster. And all of these things are happening. And I know that it's so easy to get fatigued, but we just we cannot get fatigued because for a large majority of us, we're just sitting here like, oh, like the news is really hard and I don't want to hear it. Or I hate that Jacqueline. I love what Jacqueline says about tarot, but I really hate the current events section. And it's just like. I'm so sorry that it is uncomfortable, but also it's the very least we can do to not turn away from it because it's not happening to us, but we can help. I say that as if it's not happening to some people who are directly listening to this podcast. It is. But for but for a lot of people, we're just it's just too hurtful to see. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be seeing it, acknowledging it, fighting against it. It's just really important. So, yeah. This is kind of a big episode this week. Um, We are jumping into the talking about the death line. We finished up the lifeline last week and now we are my cat is meowing again i hope you cannot hear her it's just because she misses me hey meow! stop it we're talking about the death line so what i'm going to do is i'm not going to jump right in and talk about strength i am going to dive in and talk about the death line so if you're listening to this podcast and you have your cards available to you the cards you're going to want to pull out are strength the hermit Wheel of Fortune, Justice, The Hanged Man, Death, and then Temperance. Those are the seven cards in the death line uh, that we'll kind of talk about and I'll tell the story about. I know I want, but before I do that, I want to talk about the way that I'm going to read it because in some decks, strength and justice are flipped. So in the way that I teach tarot and what makes the most sense to me, and this is in the way that a, a large masked majority, masked vast majority that's the word majority i said masked majority someone send me inject my veins with caffeine please um the vast majority of people are going to read it with strength being card eight and justice being card 11 but you will come across decks that flip them so that justice is card eight and strength is card 11 the way that I talk about it and the way that I tell the story, it is absolutely okay if you're like, no, Jacqueline, justice belongs as card eight and at the beginning of the lifeline, that is completely fine. Just take what I say about it, move justice to the beginning of your death line and then strength into that card 11 slot and the story about strength can go there. That's completely fine. It's just not the way that I teach it, though it's a completely valid way of reading the cards if that's the way that makes the most sense to you. Um, as always, take what I say with a grain of salt keep what resonates, toss out what doesn't. Um, I am by no means the master of tarot. This is just how I read it. So what I'm going to do is right now I am pulling up the workbook I wrote on the death line. Um, There are some of you who are on Patreon know that there it is. For the people who are on Patreon, you know that I have the workbook for the death line up on Patreon. Um, this, you know, it's just up there for people. And I typically will send it to people who are not on Patreon as well. Um, I'm not trying to gatekeep the workbooks here. So if you're interested in a death line workbook or lifeline or rebirth line, just let me know. I'll just email them over to you. I'm not I'm not being gatekeepy. It's just uh, I put them on Patreon as a resource. So it's available there as well along with several other um, workbooks I've written in the past. 
Okay, so let's break down the strength line. So the way that I, the strength line, guys, I swear to God, I have it together. Okay, let's break down the death line. Um, I'm picking up my laptop here and leaning back so that I can have a little bit of support. I'm all hunched over like a crone in my bed right now. Okay, so the way that I read the death line is, or the way that we're going to talk about the death line before I get into telling you the story, is that in the death line, we go through the process of, of death. We kind of go through the stages of grief, the stages of denial, the, you know, all of the things that literally if we were told that we had like, if we, if we're told we have stage four cancer, right. Um, and we're told that we are, that we are dying. This is the literal process that we would go through and figuring that out. It's also the literal process that we would go through as, as we age and die naturally. Um, this is just the 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 process of coming to acceptance of what death means it's a contractive line that doesn't mean that every single card in the death line is hard or bad that's not what it means but you're going through and getting ready to close off and be in a contraction as you're moving through this line here what's really interesting about the death line in general is that it does not end in the death card it ends in temperance which means the death card actually ends in rebirth and we'll dive into that as we kind of move as we move down the lines, because what I'll do this episode is I will just tell the story about how the cards are in place. And then next week or the next episode, I should say, which won't be next week, but the week after that is when I'll start telling the story of each individual card and doing what we did with the lifeline where we went through each card. So let's tell the story here. I like to and what makes the most sense to me, I think just kind of as a metaphor overall is talking about the death line in regards to like the lifespan of a, you know, the lifespan of caterpillar to butterfly. Um, I think it makes the most sense there in regards to hermit, wheel of fortune and then temperance. Um, so that's just kind of the one that I stick with. Um, but I'm also going to make some more um uh, broader scope comparisons and metaphors as well as we as we kind of move through the death line is as, as just kind of like an entity is one that people do tend to struggle with because it's not always easy and by not always easy i mean it can feel really heavy and it can feel really bleh um but it's also so important in, in the same way that as we sleep we do the majority of our healing the death line in this kind of contracted space is where we're going to do the majority of the learning and the growing. And then we're going to recognize and use that in the expansion. So just know that we leave the lifeline in the chariot where we're kind of making this decision or having this realization that we can keep moving forward or we can make a change. So as you're making that decision to face change, to face the difference, you go kind of through this process of a deep vulnerability. Um, the deep vulnerability here in strength is you've got this, um, it's an angel type figure with an infinity sign halo above their head. They are wearing all white, which can, you know, um, it, it's, it, it represents innocence. And I guess you could say virginity in a sense, but we're just going to go with innocence. Um, th this is someone who has not been, has not met the harder and hardest scope of what life has yet. And so they have this kind of like naivety that they can go to this lion and open this lion's mouth. And the interesting thing about the lion is that the lion is not this is not an innocent creature. A lion is not domesticated. A lion is not going to live by the rules of humans or of or of domesticated animal, you know, <laughs> rules. So 
they have to trust that this person is not going to domesticate them, take them and, and, and rule over them. And the person, this, this person wearing white has to decide and trust that this beast, this lion is not going to eat them. So you have this really vulnerable moment of two creatures coming together in trust and in vulnerability and, 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 and allowing and kind of putting their life in the other's, in the other's hands or paws, if you will. Uh, and, and that's a really, that's a really hard thing to do. Um, that's a really hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to just trust that all of this change we're going to go through and the difficultness of it is worth it and that it's not going to devour us. And you can kind of like look at strength as like the synopsis for the entire line that we are not going to get devoured by the beast. Instead, we're just going to walk with it. Um, if you grew up religious, you'll probably be familiar with the Bible verse and I'm going to butcher it, excuse me, but it's yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And in strength, that's what we're doing. We are meeting the beast. We are coming and, and we are meeting each other and we are deciding that it is going to be a hellish time moving through this or it'll be a contracted time or a scary time or a time where we just need a little extra support. Another really good metaphor for this would be in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, when Susan and Lucy wake up and Aslan is walking to the White Witch where he knows he's going to be crucified. Excuse me. I mean, killed. It's because it's a giant metaphor for Christ. OK, I, if you probably already know that. But in case you didn't, it's a giant metaphor for Christ. All right. Um, but the two children, Susan and Lucy, walk with Aslan to where they don't know, but they're going to walk with Aslan and only Aslan knows what's going to happen to him. So they put their trust in Aslan. They put their worries aside and they walk with him and then they have to say goodbye. And then Aslan goes to the White Witch where this ceremony ritual thing is performed where she kills the giant lion and then the lion has to resurrect later and the children are sad and all of that. So um, there, there's all of this and it comes with a trust and, and you have to you have to be able to and open to walking with a beast you're unfamiliar with to a place you're unfamiliar with. Um, and that and that's strength. It's card eight. Eights are about a number of transformation. And you can see that depicted in the card with the infinity halo above the above the little angel person's head in this card. And that it's a transformed decision in the seven in card seven, the chariot at the end of the lifeline. We have this realization, this, oh, my God, like this epiphany of I this is this is where I am, but this is where I want to be. And this is what I have to do to get there. And then in strength, you are making a trans, you're in a transformed state, making a decision to do things differently than you have before, because you cannot go like once you've, it's kind of like the little red riding hood, um, uh, story as well. Like once you've left the path, it's really hard to not know what's there or once you've opened your eyes and seen something, it's really hard to just kind of ignore it going forward. And that's that's kind of strength here. Like now that you've seen the light and you've had this realization, there is really no going back. It's the matrix. You took the whatever color pill showed you that you were living in a liquid incubator in some weird dystopian alien field land. Um, you're not going back. Once you have that realization, you just can't. And so that is strength. So strength is if you're thinking about it from the perspective of like a caterpillar, in strength, like you're this caterpillar and you've emerged from your egg and you're just kind of like getting to know where you're at. Like you're you're going and finding leaves and eating up and you can pretty much read the Eric Carl book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, to kind of get an idea of what the caterpillars are doing in this time. They're eating and trying not to get stomped on or picked up and they're they're voraciously hungry and trying to 
feed themselves and nourish themselves for what they don't know, but for something. And then you go into the hermit and the hermit is card nine in the major arcana. Um, Nines are about honoring the self and the hermit is standing there. They've got a staff in their hand. They're in full cloak. They have a very nice Gandalf beard and they're holding a lantern out in front of them. And what's interesting is that what is in the lantern is the star. So the star that we encounter in the rebirth line is the star that the hermit is holding in their lantern. The hermit is this need to kind of isolate, go within to self-analyze and see truth. And that holds up with like what the nine in tarot means as a whole. Just checking to make sure my battery hasn't run out um, is what the the nine in tarot means as a whole. Um, but they've got this star. The star is a guiding light towards home. The star is kind of like a soft illumination. It's like a little sun, right? Because the sun is a star. So it's like a little sun, a little, a, just a little bit of warmth where you just kind of examine who you are and why you're doing what you're doing and what kind of is next. And you do that in a, in a quiet space of self-analysis. And in the hermit, if you're talking about it from in the, in the story of the death line, this is the part where the caterpillar starts to have this gut instinct of, I need to start creating a chrysalis. I need to cocoon myself. I need to be alone. I need to be just me. I need to consider the self. And so they build this cocoon and this chrysalis and they don't really know why they're doing it, right? Like they don't know what the end goal of this is. And the same way that when we are going through a contraction or we're having a a little bit of depression or we're going through a change of something that is really visceral and real for us, we have that same need to kind of withdraw. There are some decisions in this life that it doesn't matter what we say to other people or what questions we ask, nobody is going to be able to hold our hands and, and, and talk us through those things. Sorry, that was a beep from my laptop. I'm going to turn off the power. No one's going to, no one can take our hand and lead us through that. Nobody can talk our hand through. Um, do you actually want to marry this person? Or do you want to, are you going to quit your job? Or are you ready to make this change in your life? There are some decisions only we ourselves can make. And to make them, we have to be okay examining our stars, examining our compass, examining our guiding light towards home. What makes us us? And in the metaphor of the caterpillar to butterfly here, this is where the caterpillar is like, I am very full. I'm very tired. I do not know why I'm doing this, but I am going to retreat into myself. So this is the building of the chrysalis and building of the cocoon. From this point, we move into card 10 of the major arcana. Tens in tarot are numbers of full circle moments. I wouldn't necessarily say happy endings because we've all, you know, sometimes an ending is very, very subtle. Sometimes an ending is you one day you put down your drawing pencils and then you just don't pick them back up and you don't know it. Or sometimes a full circle moment is you don't even know the last time you hold a bottle for your child. And like you think back on it and you're just like, wow, like uh, there was a day where my one day that I held my child's bottle for the last time for them. And I just don't even know what it is. And that's a full circle moment. They're not always loud and they don't always come with giant words, the end. And it um sometimes it is just a subtle little you you put your child down and you don't pick them back up anymore. And that's the wheel of fortune. Um, it's change. When I talk about this card, I don't talk about it. Some people will say upright, good luck. Uh, in reverse, bad luck. And that is such an oversimplification of this card. Um, this card is about change. It's the essence of change. It's the essence of what fate versus choice and fate versus just random whatever, because there are things in this world that 
you know, I believe in soulmates and all of that, but I also believe in just things sometimes just happen. We just recently had tornadoes blow across Nashville and and um, northern Nashville and Clarksville and Hendersonville. And was that fated to happen? No, I, I hate to believe that that's a thing, but it is nature. And that's just that is the unfortunate, devastating nature of natural disasters. And what do you do with that? What is how do you it's nature versus nurture? That is the wheel of fortune. And in, in the metaphor of the of the caterpillar going to butterfly, the wheel of fortune, I don't know. So I didn't actually know this until a few years ago, but I love this fact. When caterpillars put themselves in their chrysalis and they're all cocooned up, the transformation, they don't just like grow wings. They don't like in my head, I just always kind of pictured like these wings slowly growing. They melt down. They dissolve themselves, turn into goo, and then they rebuild themselves back up inside the chrysalis. And the wheel of fortune is the turning. It's the goo part. Um, it's it's the goo part. It's the it's the completely undoing yourself and 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 trying to experience life in a completely different state. It is change because it has to happen and just kind of weathering it as it comes. It's a full circle moment of you're not at the end, but you're not finished. Like you're not your life's goal is not goo. So you just kind of sit in that. So it's a full circle moment of, no, I am no longer a caterpillar. Now I am goo. There is something else there for me, but right now I'm in the goo. Um, and, and that's such a cool fact. And I think it's a really, I think it's the most um, poignant way of looking at the Wheel of Fortune outside of it just being about like good luck versus bad luck. Um, because that's, it, it's so much deeper than that. From the Wheel of Fortune, we go into card 11, which is justice. Now, we have reached the end of the numerology. So what we do here is justice is one plus one equals two. So that's high priestess kind of energy. So we're working with two energy here. Um, two is kind of like choice and balance and working between two things. And justice kind of symbolizes that and that they are holding in their hand um, it's this, it's the person on the throne and in one hand, they've got a sword and the other hand scales. And they're kind of sitting very similarly to how the high priestess is, because again, card two in the major arcana is the high priestess. So this person in justice is sitting in a very similar way. They're sitting between two pillars with a veil behind them. Um, it, almost the exact same as the high priestess, which is just really cool. The attention to detail that was, that was done here. Um, but they're holding in both of their hands, things that are balanced, but the balance comes in different ways. In a sword, when we're talking about balance, we can use the sword to protect, to to protect and fight. So it can be a defensive or it can be a weapon. Um, swords um, kind of symbolize, like they symbolize Excalibur. They symbolize they symbolize divine right to rule, wisdom, truth, clarity. The wisdom of Solomon is something that if you're familiar with religion that you're pretty familiar with, again, like you've heard me say this 20,000 times, but that's the story about the king who the two women came in and they were fighting over a baby. And Solomon was like, I have been given a gift from God and that gift is wisdom. So I'll just cut that baby in half. And then um, you each can have part a half of the baby. And one woman was like, sounds fair. And the other woman was like, no, give the baby to her. And then Solomon said, hey, the woman who doesn't want that baby cut up, that's probably, that's probably her baby. Um, which if that sounds like a really dumb story to you, uh, it is. But also that's the that's the, that's the sword here. That's the wisdom, the truth and the clarity. And then on the other hand, justice has these scales and the scales are uh, they're they're about keeping things even and weighted and being evenly killed and balanced and knowing, though, that sometimes 
one scale is going to tip up further and that we have to work through making it equal again. It's not handmade for us the way that a sword is to be balanced and equal. So when you're looking at justice, one of the phrases that I like to use overall here is um, we all deserve. We all deserve to to die by nature of being alive. Anything that is alive deserves both to live and also to die. Um, And this is why I think this is the concept that some people put justice at the beginning of the death line, talking about kind of like the balance of what nature is, right? Like um, there's a balance to everything. And and so then they'll put, yay, though I walk through the valley of the death, they'll put that strength card where justice is. But I don't like it there. I, I like justice where it is. Because it comes right after the goo card. And in the goo card, by the point you're in justice, you're starting to weave yourself back together. You're starting to become a thing. You're starting to become something you recognize again. And, 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 And it takes away some of that confusion of, do I deserve what I'm doing? Did I deserve what happened to me? This trauma, this thing. Did I deserve this praise, this reward? It's this remembrance that we deserve to come back together, come back to ourselves. We deserve it because we are alive and we deserve to change because we are alive. So because we're alive, we must also die. And if you take out die and you put in the word transform, which is basically what death means in the tarot anyway, then you deserve to live and you deserve to transform and change. You can't be the same You can be different and it's okay. So as you're knitting yourself back together and all of a sudden you have legs and and wings and you're a little bit wet because you're becoming solid again Um, and knitting yourself back together, you're, you're finding this balance between what you once were versus what you're going to be and you still don't know what the end goal is, except that the end goal is change. So you think to yourself, did I change enough? Is this what I'm supposed to be? Is it okay that I came back as this? Is it okay for me to have had no wings and come back with wings? Is that a curse? Is that a blessing? Am I what I'm supposed to be? And that right here is justice. This is also the card where you're, you know, you're weighing your heart and your intentions against a feather. And in, in ancient Egyptian, it's where that mythology comes from, right? Like you're not, they're not saying, have you never sinned? Have you never done anything wrong? It's asking you about your intentions. Do you stand by what you did? Have you taken accountability for the wrongs you've done? It doesn't demand perfection of you. It demands accountability. And that's justice. Now that you're a brand new being, now that you've gone from caterpillar to butterfly, and you're not you're not leaving your cocoon or your chrysalis, but it's saying, were your intentions good? Did you change and do exactly what you needed to? It doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to be changed. And do you stand by it? That's justice. Is it fair? Have you tried to do what is fair? And a lot of times fair doesn't mean that you did the right thing. It just means that you can be accountable for the mistakes or the things that you did wrong. And going forward, you're going to have that accountability and try to bring some levity and some evenness to it, some balance to it. That's justice. So for me, justice fits in really well as kind of like almost dead center of the it is dead center of the death line. This you deserved everything in life and you also deserve everything in death, bad and good, fate and random. 
simply because that is the nature of life and death. So at this point in the metaphor, you are a butterfly who is, you are a caterpillar who has become a butterfly and you're in your chrysalis and you're, and you are balancing yourself out. In the hanged man, that is card 12. So in card 12, um, we add two plus three, uh, sorry, one plus two, that equals three. So you've got kind of this three energy here, which is expansion. And what's interesting is that in the hanged man, you've got that abundance that like they're hanging from the tree. They've got the vines, they've got this, but the expansion that's happening is in your mind because you're not going anywhere. Um, you're having this change of heart or this change of mind or this enlightenment is coming from you staying very still. It's coming from you. It, it, you have it because you've gone through change, because you've gone through something. That's where the enlightenment comes from. So in this phase, you're kind of like acceptance in the, in the metaphor of the caterpillar becoming butterfly. You're in, you're in the acceptance phase of, I live in this chrysalis now. I have wings and um, I have wings and I live in this cocoon and I am not going to fly even though I have wings and I wonder why that is. And I bet that is because of X, Y, Z. And you're kind of coming to terms with how things are. I live in a chrysalis. I have wings. What does that mean for me? Am I supposed to do something with these wings? Why would I change? Why would I go from a caterpillar to this creature with wings and live in this chrysalis? I'm not ready to fly yet, but why am I the way that I am? And you start to gather this enlightenment and this expansion and understand that things have changed around you. You have changed. You are something different now than you have been before. And that's okay. You are different. Your needs are different. Your body is different. Um, you know, I think that people who are, who have gone through childbirth, pregnancy and childbirth kind of go through this death line as well of like, okay, uh, you know, in the hanged man, you're, you're sitting there and you, you are just large <laughs> and in charge. You got this baby in you. And that baby is, you're kind of like, okay, I got to get this baby out of me somehow. And I don't even recognize I'm, my belly has never been bigger. I've got this growth, this, this little, this baby inside me and things are about to change. Things are seriously about to change. Is it good? Is it bad? It's both. It's wonderful. It's my body is something I don't recognize and I'm okay with it. Like I have to like, this baby is going to come out somehow. And that's that realization. It's that moment. It's this butterfly. I'm in here now, but I probably have wings for a reason. And then you move into death. And death is 13 in the major arcana. Three plus one equals four. This is the emperor. The emperor in death is a unchangeable, unshakable truth is that we will all meet death. Take out the word death, put the word change or transformation in. We will all meet change. We will all meet transformation. We will all be on our knees in front of death and change. We will all have to go into the darkest night. We will all face the biggest contraction. This is the biggest contraction you go through in the tarot. Death. This is the un curling into yourself, into the tiniest little thing you can be is it always going to be comfortable no are you always going to be ready for it well you've had you've had some prep but it's never gonna you're never gonna be like i'm ready to meet change i'm ready to meet death it's more like i am it's um a really good let me let me see here a really good way to think about this is i have severe needle phobia 
And I was in the ER recently and I knew that I was going to need to get an IV because I needed to have some pain medication because I was in extreme, I was in an extreme amount of pain. So I knew that to get to the pain relief, I was going to have to go through the process of getting an IV. And when I tell you I went through the seven stages of grief, getting an IV, I mean it. I have a true utter phobia of needles, but I remember knowing and holding my arm out and releasing myself to the nurse who was going to poke the freaking needle tube into my arm, my vein, if you will. And I just had to let her do it. I had to accept it was going to probably be painful. I was going to have to accept that they might have to try to place it again. I'm just kind of at the mercy of it. And that was a little death to me. It's a little death to me every time I have to be vulnerable, completely vulnerable in that way. But I also knew that it was the only way I was going to get to a place where I wasn't in such extreme pain. So I so I gave her my arm and I closed my eyes and I and I just let it happen. And that's that's death. It's knowing that something has to happen. You have to change. This is in the metaphor of the butterfly. This is the moment that the butterfly is like their wings are starting to unfurl in the cocoon. They they have decided that they need to get out of this out of this chrysalis. It's time to break free. They know they have to do it and they're not ready for it. They changed and became something brand new in this space that became their home, that became the only thing they knew. And all they have is this knowing that they have to get out and they have to go out and see what's outside. And they don't know what that is. And that is a death. That butterfly who has no idea that it's actually coming out of its chrysalis to live thinks it's dying. Thinks it's dying because it has to change and they don't know why and they don't know why they have to do it. It's just nature. It's instinct. It is what it is. So they begin the process of taking themselves out of their warm and cozy chrysalis out of the only place they've ever truly built for themselves. And they accept that they're about to do something that is going to take them to a place that they don't know. Regardless of what that means, they have to do it anyway. It's the same thing for having a baby, like that baby's in your tummy, in your uterus, and that baby all of a sudden is like, I have to get out of here. This, this, I don't have any room anymore. I'm, I, I'm, you know, like all of these contractions are happening. I have to come out. And so they begin this process and they don't want to do it. They don't want to leave the warm, place where they're fed and they're cozy and they hear they hear the heartbeat of the parent and they they can hear and they and they're warm and they're cozy and they're just they feel good in there but now they're leaving and they don't know what they're going to they have no idea they're about to be born which is the absolute reverse of death right or is it or is it um they don't understand that so they go through this process of of the contractions and moving through a body and it's and it's scary and it, uh, it's painful and you're tight and you can't breathe yet. And and then you're pushed out or you're pulled out. And all of a sudden it's like you're you're no longer breathing and getting oxygen through the umbilical cord and the placenta. Now you're getting it into your lungs. And I can only imagine as a person who has had to kind of learn to breathe again with their shitty lungs, how hard that is as a baby who has never inflated their lungs before to do that. It's painful and it's scary. And to them, it feels like a death. And to the butterfly emerging from its chrysalis without any idea of what is outside or what they are or what they can do, I bet it feels like death. I bet it feels like a transformation. But death is not the end of the death line. 
death is not how the death line ends because the last card of the death line is temperance. Temperance is card 14 in the major arcana. That is five plus, wait, hold on. I, I know how to count things. It's 14. I can understand math. 14, so it's four plus one. That is five. That is the Hierophant. And if you remember in the Lifeline and we talk about the Hierophant, the Hierophant is the first time we meet society. The the number five, it's a, it's a contraction, but it's also the first time we're forced to kind of meet society in that way. And temperance, again, because all of Deathline is a contraction, but temperance itself is an expansion, the biggest expansion in the entire tarot. And it happens in the middle of a contractive line, which is just so crazy to me, like the nuance of that. But temperance is where is when you meet the world. Temperance is the rebirth. Temperance is the you're changed and you're here. Temperance is the butterfly coming out of its chrysalis and spreading its wings and being like, oh, holy shit. I, I love flowers. The world is so beautiful. And not only that, but like now I can be in the sky. I can fly around. Everything is above me or it's the baby that's just been born on their mom's on their mom's chest and they're like well it's kind of fucking cold out here but that's but this smells like my mom that's this is still my mom this is still my parent and that's the other voice that's my other parent like you it's not always comfortable in temperance there's a moderation that comes with it there's a there's a balance that has to come with it there's an expansion and a a moment of holy crap now i have to figure out what to do in this brand new state this evolved state, this reborn, completely changed state. And that doesn't always mean we're really fucking happy about it. If you've ever seen the face of a newly born baby, they look pretty pissed because they kind of are. Um, but you're also, it's like, welcome to life and realization happens here. And looking back and this is the place in temperance, you look back and you go, this is why I ate. This is why I was so voraciously hungry so that I could hold enough food in my body, that I would be nourished through this process of total change, of breaking down my every cell to recreate myself into something with wings, to waiting until I was strong enough and dry enough that I could break out of my chrysalis so that I could be here. This is why I grew. This is why I ate the food of my mom and I listened to her heart. This is why I was in this place for 10 months, growing and growing and growing. And I came out to here, to the world, this is why, you know, you take you take all those big moments and you take it in the you take it in a small, a small little microchasm example, too, of I wanted to, um, I don't know, like, say you're going to change your career. Right. Um, and you go through the process of, oh, God, I'm going to have to start all over. I'm going to have to go back to school. I'm going to have to withdraw and study. I don't know what this means. I'm learning all of this new stuff and everything that like I used to know or used to do isn't really useful now but i'm learning all of this new material and i just feel like i'm changing in my brain and the way that i do things is changing and then it's do i feel ready to take these tests do i feel do i feel like i can study do i feel like i'm ready to do this and then it's the acceptance of well i guess if i'm ready or not i'm here now i'm not going anywhere i'm just gonna have to find i'm just gonna be enlightened and have all this knowledge and i'm just gonna do it and then it's the actively like leaving leaving that job that was and you're now taking a new position somewhere because you finished school and you're going into it and you're like god like i'm green i don't know what to do i've never done this before and this is i don't have any experience i'm gaining experience and then all of a sudden you're in temperance and it's you've worked at this new job for for a while 
you have graduated, you know what you're talking about, and now you understand why you went through all of the discomfort and the contraction of that process of change. That is the death line. The death line encompasses both the biggest contraction we face as humans and spiritual beings, as well as the biggest expansion as well. And that is the beauty of and story of the death line. Um, like I said, in the next coming episodes, we'll take the chance to go through each card and talk about its, ev- its evolution, its artwork. We'll read more of what Arthur Edward Waite had to say in his little book there. Um, and we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll break down further and reach further into the nuance and complexities of each individual card. At this point, I have talked for close to 46 minutes. I need water and I need to go see what my cat wanted so desperately that it decided to scream at me twice in this episode. Deep breath. (sighs) Goodbye. Oh, fuck. I have to do a collective reading. Listen, I know we are pulling for a collective reading. (laughs) Isn't it nice that this podcast is run by a bunch of professionals? Don't you feel so held and alert? All right. Collective reading is the six of wands. So going into this next two week time period, we are working in a six. A six is really a number of like trust and empathy. Um, And it's also a number of, you know, it's a car, it's in the suit of wands and it's that person and they're on the horse. They're holding up that little wand while people kind of cheer behind them. We are in a place in the six of wands where we need to be on top of our shit where either we need to fight imposter syndrome and rather than thinking, oh, I can't or I can't make a difference or I can't do this, coming at it from a place of I can't do it yet or coming at it from I can do something. You don't know how to draw. You can draw lines. You can learn how to draw shapes. You feel like you aren't good enough at what you're doing and you have imposter syndrome while you're doing it. So keep going. You feel like making a call to a representative doesn't do enough, so you're not going to do it. It does something. It does something. That energetic balance is there. So as we're moving through, keep in mind that we are capable. We are able and we are capable and we can. And I think that that is kind of like the message there in regards to the six of wands. Okay, my voice hurts. Gabe, stars and shit. Is that what you're going to call it, though? Is that what you're going to call it? Do I get to name it? Stars and shit! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stars and Shit. Your dose of astrology with Gabe. Um, so we're into the holiday season, approaching Christmas. Hanukkah started last Thursday, I think. Friday, Thursday night, I think it's a night thing. Uh, The winter solstice and Yule are around the corner. Um, Jacqueline mentioned this a little uh, briefly at the beginning, um, but we'll probably not put out an episode in the last two weeks of December. Um, So we're we're doing one this week, two consecutive weeks, um, and I wanted to close out the year, essentially. Actually, I think we'll have one very close to the first, but I wanted to close this uh, last two last two weeks with the holiday season coming up with two things. Um, I have a couple transits to talk about, um, but first, I wanted to talk about astrology as a whole for a minute. Um, 
something that's been on my mind, and I want to be clear on my end when I'm talking about astrology. Because what I'm saying about planets in certain signs and transits that are coming through or how to work with the next new moon or something has implications. How we think and feel about fate can differ from person to person. And astrology, at its core, is the study of fate and fortune. Beliefs are personal, of course, um, but sometimes in this, in this community we have to be careful not to come off problematic, uh, toxic, naive, overly positive. Um, I think, and, and most of the time people are innocent enough, just, you know, maybe being hopeful about something that's coming up. I have a tendency to do the same myself. Um, but I think most of you know what I'm getting at. Um, there's, there's a new age mentality that can, if taken too far, um, come off a, a little bit harsh to somebody who has experienced life in a different way, perhaps. Like, you know, that like just being aligned, whatever that means, or just letting go of bad feelings or trauma, um, things behind the issues is just the answer for everything. Um, it can be easy to enlist colorful, epic, empowering, and magical perspectives into your life and feel the joy that it brings to you personally and hope and purpose or meaning and think we have all the answers. Um, I do not feel that way, even for myself. Um, and I know Jacqueline doesn't feel that way as well. We are not by any means experts. Um, we're just here to share. Religion, spirituality, divination, beliefs, and life are not a one-size-fits-all. So I feel responsible for at least laying out the different philosophies of fate that may pertain to astrology and divination as a whole, um, in, including the tarot. Um, then I'd like to tell you the sh just a short story for context about how and why I got into tarot, astrology, philosophy, um, occult things, um, other than just, just that I think that it's really cool and fun. So this is more philosophy than, I guess, astrology, but there is an element of philosophy to astrology when you get down to, when you get down to it. Um, astrology is much more than just horoscopes and um, full moons and, and all of that, and I know most of you are aware so I'll, I'll get into it here. There's two main ways to view astrology and, and the planets and how they function. Um, planets including the sun and the moon. They were, in ancient astrology, considered planetary objects or celestial bodies, um, known as the luminaries. The first way is very much like we view the tarot, as signs. The alignment of the planets provides an omen for one to draw insight or ideas from. Uh, like, a, a good way to think about it is like a clock on the wall. Just because it says it's uh, 9 a.m. doesn't mean the clock caused it to be 9 a.m. But it symbolizes that time of day. 
Um, so with this, we are internalizing that the planets are not why something is happening, but a source of knowledge and inspiration to pull over the preferred deterministic view of, of fate. And there's a number of ways to look at fate. But this is one way to view astrology as a sign or an omen. And then you live by their example or see their example and ask yourself, as I always, as I've been saying, the planets are asking something of us. The other way to view astrology is that the planets are causal. Um, the mechanism underlying astrology is able to be predictive because of a physical or a metaphysical force inflicted on Earth by the planets, like, like an energetic or vibrational force influencing and bringing about an expected outcome, an archetypal outcome, uh, like, like turning the oven on and expecting it to be hot. The question then being like, how, how hot is the oven? Or how much does it actually control? How much free will is present? Answered by, again, whichever view of fate that one has, which I'll go over in just a moment. So those are the two ways to think about astrology. It is possible to blend the two. You don't have to pick one and hold on to it forever. You have the ability to change your mind. This is just the two ways that is very highly debated among astrologers. Moving on to fate. It can be boiled down broadly, broadly boiled down to two basic ways to view it and a bajillion perspectives in between, mind you. This is where I think some of the problematic views can come in. And I think we just, I think the key is just remembering that your perspective is your perspective, and it doesn't mean that someone else has to have it. So I think that's the key. But overall, um, this is another debate among astrologers, is the difference between complete determinism, meaning that one believes that their fate is, everything is predetermined, and the other is partial determinism, basically that your choices can affect your fate and that you can change it. So complete determinism is... Everything is predetermined and part of a plan. The universe was created with this plan in mind by some defined force, insert belief there, and until the end of time, events are unfolding absolutely according to this plan, even the bad things. Um, this lines up with Stoic beliefs. If you've ever heard of Stoic philosophy, this is something that Stoics typically believe, which came roughly at the same time historically with the rise of what is popular ancient astrology these days. Um, Stoic astrologers study their future to learn what they need to accept, and ultimate happiness or alignment is found when you're able to flow with the ups and downs, not getting too happy or too sad when good things or bad things happen. This is, this is part of a belief that um, I think, if pressed upon somebody else, can be problematic. It's okay to view life this way. Um, but this is, again, just keeping in mind that other people have different perspectives. Um, the other partial determinism, you can change your fate. It takes into account other factors like circumstances and events in our lives that cannot be defined by astrology or the tarot or 
by anything. It could be random. It widens the range a bit of the archetypes to accept possibilities, even that circumstance might cause something not to happen. Um, also more adequately accepts the notion of electional astrology, which is like a, a type of astrology where someone may ask an astrologer what day is the best day for something to happen. Just overall alluding to everything not being completely faded. I've looked up uh, a few things in, in a couple books that I have read that allude to this, and a lot of the books pick one idea or another that they speak from, or a lot of astrologers say, I speak from this perspective, and I'll, I'll tell you what I think in, in just a moment. Um, but there is a, a couple great podcast episodes that uh, a lot of this information that, that I got was a, a great debate between Adam Ellenboss and Chris Brennan, um, who discussed this at length and uh, in a whole like two-hour episode. Um, check it out if you want to go in deeper. Um, this is a, a long-standing argument among astrologers, and so uh, most of this was to provide you some context so that I can tell you where that I'm coming from whenever I'm talking about the planets. So in short, I believe that fate is partially deterministic. I do not align with the stoic belief that uh, your fate is your fate and you can't change it. I believe there's lots of circumstances. It is very hard to try and understand everything at once and um, that there is power in your ability to change things. Um, and as far as believing whether astrology is more about signs and omens or that the planets are actually causing things to happen, this is something that I haven't totally decided yet. On one hand, there are days where I believe very much that, that the planets are causing things to happen, and there's evidence to this. Just the sun and the moon cause a lot of very physical things to happen and manifest. And my argument to that would be, how are the other planets not? Really good astrologers are able to draw amazing connections. Um, one great book is called Cosmos and Psyche, and if you haven't read that or haven't heard of it, go check it out. It, it goes through Western history and, and it shows you patterns between some of the planetary alignments and how they have continued to happen throughout the ages. And it's amazing. And it kind of makes you go, wow, okay, this is, this is an argument towards the planets being causal, ultimately. Other astrologers and scientists have done similar things with other planets, and there is compelling evidence. However, it's very hard to come up with proof. Um, so that's where I teeter and totter. And um, But one thing is for sure is that you can absolutely view the planets as signs and omens. And it's the same way that you view tarot, where you look inward. And that's how you align. So basically, that, that's what I believe. That's how I speak to the planets uh, most of the time. Most of the time I'm speaking about them from a partially deterministic a partially deterministic standpoint of a sign and an omen that would be coming through. Because astrology for me didn't didn't come at the start of what I would call in my life um, the start of my uh, spiritual journey, my my desire to 
look inward, look into myself, look, answer some of these big questions of, of why and how. And there's a few incidents in my life that caused me to ultimately, those things in my life built up to a point where I was too curious not to look and not to try and figure it out and come up with answers. And it, it turned into this beautiful relationship that I have with astrology and reflecting, reflecting the astrology onto myself and, and looking at the world in a different way. I believe that this journey, after a lot of reflection, started when I was younger and experiencing death and uh, death in the family, um, death of friends. Uh, I have, unfortunately, a, a number of friends in my life who have committed suicide. And understanding the grief behind that, understanding why, and, and that's a tough question that can is really tough to answer. And the idea of fate comes into that, and I, I was so curious to understand those things. And, and I believe that throughout my life, those the curiosity with that built up to this boiling point around around the time of the a little bit before the start of the pandemic, but I, I do remember that year was a, a really big year to definitely go inward. And I could go a full full astrology on, on that year and ex try and explain it that way, but um, the experience itself was um, profound for everybody. And for me, it was, um, it was a, a deep um, kind of dark night of the soul, I guess you could say. That's kind of a quarter in the jar term but um it truly was and i came out of it with this really amazing relationship with astrology so um, that's a little bit a little bit my story there i i hope that provides some context into how i talk about that talk about things going forward we are approaching the winter solstice the darkest part of the year the winter solstice is the darkest day of the year I've explained this before, but I'll, I'll go over it again here. The, the zodiac, the 12 signs of the zodiac, are ultimately rooted in the four points of the spring equinox and the fall equinox and the summer solstice and the winter solstice. And the zodiac signs are divided into three different spaces in between those four points, making 12. The start of the winter solstice is the start of Capricorn season, where we are going inward, indoors, stretching our resources to last out the winter, the cold, trying to keep warm, the death of the light. The light is at its least powerful in the whole year, and I'm talking about the sun mainly, um, and warmth, um, going into your chrysalis to... Um, circle back to Jackie's metaphors on metaphors on the death line. Um, hibernation, looking into yourself and your support structures, into your home, uh, families, and and again into your into yourself. Um, it's also the tied to 
I wanted to include this uh, just because I thought it was cool. Also, the the holiday of Yule, and I'll do. I got a a short short history here for those of you who are interested. Yule was celebrated by the Scandinavian and Norse people, uh, beginning in mid November. There are there are a number of ways to celebrate. Some sometimes it's a twelve day celebration starting on the solstice or a three day feast beginning on the solstice. Um, its origins are are hard to trace. But it is a pre-Christian holiday festival and um, credited by historians to have inspired a lot of aspects of uh, the Christian Christmas. Uh, the 12 days of Christmas, Yuletide, the Yule log was a large log that burned for maybe the 12 days or as long as it could last. Um, its pagan roots and Norse roots symbolize that harsh time of year, um, especially in that part of the world, which was got very cold and bleak and how it's a time to hunker down and put your faith in death, in a way, in transformation, in, in what you have already sacrificed and what you may have to sacrifice to survive this, this hard time and hope that it's not yours or the ones that you love. Now, that's, you know, super dark, but it was a reality for this holiday, if you want to call it that. Obviously, things have changed um, but the idea of coming together, helping each other, gifting what you can to others to make it through the winter, um, foundationally tracks with how we celebrate um, Christmas and others today. And Hanukkah as, as well, which um, I don't know a ton about Hanukkah, but I know it's about um, light. I know it's about keeping the light burning, um, very much the same as the Yule Log. Um, the light burning, it was, I don't remember the name. Um, but it was an oil lamp, I believe, that they kept burning for eight days. Um, I, I had the fortune, short story here, I had the, the fortune to have a friend who had some grandparents who lived in a small town in Colorado, a tiny cozy town that still celebrated Yule, and they had a, and they had a gathering at their community center, which was just this picturesque, dirty log cabin in the woods, in the park, I think. And in this park... They went and they hid a big log with a chain in it, and they had all the kids run through the woods and find the Yule log. And I think when you found it, you would yell something, something Scandinavian. I'm not even sure. Um, but I was there for two of those with, with again, this was my friend. He was in, we were in elementary school together, and uh, his family went up to visit his grandparents, and they took me with them for the weekend. And I got to do this twice, and the second time, I ran through the woods, and lo and behold, I found the log and had to yell the words. And the, and then I was, I mean, I was honored in front, of, in front of the fire after they lit the fire, and I found the Yule log, and that had a great impression on me. And I thought it was just super cool how everybody came together and celebrated that. So I wouldn't say that I'm out here celebrating Yule 100%, but this year we did, uh, we did I did make a Yule log for us, and... Um, we are making some of our own garland and decorations, and it's fun to just get together and do those sorts of things um, and celebrate this time of year in that way. So that is a lot of the energy that is coming through the astrology right now is the winter solstice, the dark half of the year. Always keeping that in mind when you're looking at astrology is important. Um, and the last thing I'll say is this transit that we have on December 22nd. Venus opposite Uranus and Mercury 
Kazemi. Mercury Kazemi is when Mercury is in a conjunction with the Sun. Mercury represents communication. The Sun is light, um, inspiration, could be divinity, and action, purpose. And Venus opposite Uranus is um, revolution of love and relationships. And so those things together, you could, you might be able to feel some um, freedom, uh, breaking free, liberation, creativity, bright colors, flashy, um, love scandals, maybe, um, and in a way be inspired by some of these, some of these feelings to break out or break free or break through something. Maybe you're trying to, maybe you're trying to go somewhere or do something or and you need the inspiration to do it. You're looking for the reason. You're looking for some motivation. Maybe you're stagnant. This would be a really good turning point for those things. Um, I have here in my notes, sacred tasks given by a burning bush. Just a little Christian reference there. Um, the nudge out of the door that starts the great adventure. How will this next undertaking define me and how I'm remembered? Um, understanding the reasons for current hardships. Um, so this could be a cool time of year to feel inspired in a time that is, that is, that is dark. Hopefully you're with family. Hopefully you're starting some of your celebrations of the year. And this could be a, a little something very rosy to come through. Um, but keep in mind where you're, where you're going, I think. And um, I think there could be some, some inspiration coming through. Maybe some feedback from somebody. Maybe a... Maybe you get that email or that call. Um, another thing with Mercury Kazemi is, is getting news, getting messages. And this, hopefully, um, mostly this seems like good news. But this could also, um, expecting some sort of news, I think, is a good expectation here. So I think that's all I've got. Have a great holiday season, everybody. If you like this podcast, please like, subscribe. If you're leaving a comment, please be kind. We love feedback, and we definitely take it. Are always looking to improve. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.